This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine. Erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Straight up Shannon McClung joke. And welcome to this brand new episode of the Geek Buddies. <gasps> hey! Yeah, well, we're coming to you uh, here to have a fun conversation about the world of geekdom and all the things going on uh, in the world of geekdom. For sure, we got a lot of things to cover today, so we're excited. To jump into it, we should uh, announce who we are. I'm the outlaw John Roger, writer, producer, and host here on the Geek Buddies. I am Michael Vogel. I'm a writer and producer of animated TV shows and movies. And this is Shannon McClung. I'm a television actor and an animation writer where you can see some of our current work right now on Netflix with Strawberry Shortcake, Barry in the Big City, seasons one and two, with season three dropping next month on YouTube. Wow. Next month already? Ooh. Yeah. I feel justice a little bit. I'm vamping now with Michael. Hold on a second. I'm vamping like Michael. The camera's a little bit. There we go. All right. Nope. That's the wrong I, direction. I am a great vamper. No you are. You know. You're one of the va- vampiest best. Um, yes. Yeah, so we're going to jump into a lot of things. The way this show works is uh, uh, each of us brings up a geek news item. We take a bit of a break and then we jump into a massive uh, main topic. And our main topic today is the Hulk uh, getting the rights uh, back. Marvel getting the rights back to the Hulk. What is that going to mean going forward? The Incredible Hulk debuting today. On Disney Plus, so you can watch the Edward Norton classic, in some people's opinion, uh, of the Incredible Hulk there. Uh, and uh, talk about the tentacles of that movie now all of a sudden showing up as we go into Phase 5 after having a tease, been teased a little bit in Phase 4 as well. So going to be a fun conversation. We're going to get some trailers, conversation about Lucasfilm, and uh, jumping into some uh, stuff going on here with Michael Vogel, who's going to lead us off first with some news about a director and a Batman film. I mean, all right, let's do it. Well, um, if you're watching us, you are probably aware of the fact that a little movie is coming out this weekend called The Flash. Yes. um, Starring Ezra Miller and Michael Keaton and Sasha Kaye and directed by Andy Muschietti. Uh, And he gets to do a little bit of Batman fun in The Flash, but it looks like he is not done yet because it has been announced that Andy Muschietti will be directing... The Brave and the Bold, uh, the Batman film that is a part of James Gunn and Peter Safran's new DC universe um, that will be featuring Batman and the newest Robin, uh, Damian Wayne. So that is all we know about the movie so far. But uh, yeah, 
uh, Gun and Saffron, when they announced that Muschietti was going to be directed it, uh, they, directing the movie, they said, we saw The Flash even before taking the reins at DC Studios. We knew we were in the hands of not only a visionary director, but a massive DC fan. It's a magnificent film, funny, emotional, thrilling, and Andy's affinity and passion for these characters and this world just resonates through every frame. So when it came time to find a director for The Brave and the Bold, there was really only one choice. Uh, luckily, Andy said yes. So... <laughs> For our thoughts on The Flash and how we feel about uh, James Gunn and Saffron's choice, uh, you'll have to tune into our live spoiler review, which is coming this Sunday. Um, so definitely tune in for that. But gentlemen, um, we've got a director for The Brave and the Bold. We've got Gunn writing Superman Legacy. Uh, things are getting moving in this new DC universe. What do you think? This is a fascinating story because it has shades of... Ryan Johnson, Last Jedi, Kathleen Kennedy, let's give him a trilogy before Last Jedi comes out because we've all seen Last Jedi behind the scenes and we think it's great. Well, <laughs> they've all said how great the Flash movie is and certainly coming out of, com of uh, CinemaCon, people were falling all over themselves to praise the Flash movie. But since then, more reviewers have seen the movie and as what happens most of the times with Warner Brothers films and DC uh, the uh, the score has gone down, the Rotten Tomatoes score, and the um, uh, reviews have become more lukewarm. And there's been a lot of criticism about the CGI, which Muschietti addressed in a what a lot of people feel is a little bit of revisionist history uh, in explaining how we uh, how that CGI ended up the way it is. So to me, I like Muschietti as a director, but I got to be honest, like the first It, didn't like the second It quite as much, liked most of The Flash. Didn't think he built up to the final act as strongly as he could have. That's just as much as I'm going to tease before we get into our spoiler review on Sunday night. But that is how I feel about Muschietti. A very good director. Certainly his uh, sister is a fantastic producer. So I'm, I'm curious to see what we're going to get. And I'm curious to see if we've seen our Batman already for Batman the Brave and the Bold as well. So I just got a lot of that in my head as I've seen The Flash twice now. So I like the choice. Argentinian director, South American, Latino director. I'm all for it. What are you going to do that's going to be interesting and new and different here uh, with this story and with these characters? Because I liked a lot, again, of what we got from The Flash, especially the two different versions of The Flash and the way they communicated with each other. I liked that. And the way they communicated with the older Batman and Michael Keaton, I liked that as well. So certainly a bit of a template or a blueprint for what we might get in Batman Brave and the Bold. Shannon, your thoughts? You know, It Chapter One, I thought was a fantastic movie. I mean, I'm not a horror guy, but I thought that was just such a just a just a well constructed tale that I was in from minute one. And despite the fact that I wanted to leave several times because I'm a giant chicken, um, my friends wouldn't let me. And I'm glad they didn't because because the, the movie, it was a great, great movie. Like John, I think It Chapter 2 is a bit of a mixed bag. Mm -hmm. um, how much of that falls on Muschietti? I don't know. I mean, you know, that was, because I think that was, that was only his third big studio yeah. movie yeah. so yeah. i mean you would think on the heels of what a success chapter one was that they're yeah. they're giving him quite a bit of control but ultimately when you're working for a studio the studio usually makes the final makes the final call um going into uh the flash i mean i was really really uh really really excited i i, I am kind of with john 
little bit of a mixed bag, which we'll we'll get into on Sunday. Um, but also, this is a movie that has kind of been put through the ringer a little bit in terms of what they were going to do, like how it was originally going to end prior to, you know, uh, Gunn and Saf- uh, Saffron coming on. So, um, again, how much was actually in Muschietti's control when you look at the product from, you know, A to Z. Um, so there are some, I wouldn't say red flags, but they're, they're sort of like, okay, well, we'll see. Um, yeah. The idea of the story that we're getting with with Batman, with with a, I'm, I'm presuming a, a younger Robin, um, and the Bat family allegedly is going to be in it as well. Uh, that story, I'm really, really excited to see. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, doing this soft reboot that Gunn and Saffron are spearheading, you you would think that Warner Brothers has looked at the mistakes that have been made in the past and they really want to get it right this time. So if this is their choice for that, fantastic. Can't wait to see it. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Michael, do you have any... Other thoughts on this idea? What is your what is your feeling about it? Yeah, I I have a lot of thoughts, and a lot of them are tied to uh, what I think about the Flash. But I I think that um overall, what I'm curious about is what the tone of this Batman is going to be. Uh, and I think that there's a couple reasons to be concerned about that. There's look, we've talked a lot about this on the show with Gunn kind of taking over the universes. Is James Gunn guiding this universe or is this a James Gunn universe? And James Gunn between Peacemaker and Suicide Squad and Guardians of the Galaxy, like there's definitely a tone there. And is that going to be the tone of everything moving forward? And, you know, to your guys' point, Muschietti, it, chapter one is great. It, chapter two is absolutely a mixed bag. But... Very moody, very scary, mm-hmm. very dark. Mm-hmm. The Flash, tonally, and I don't think this is spoiling anything. I'll save the spoiling stuff for our spoiler review, but The Flash is a lot lighter in tone. Yeah. It kind of has a little bit more of a, I don't want to say a candy-coated comic book humor to it, but it, and it definitely has its emotional moments, definitely has its dark moments, but it definitely is a little bit lighter and sillier in some places. Um, so what is Brave and the Bold going to be? We've got... We got Reeves the Batman over here. We yeah. know what that is. It's super dark. It's always raining and everyone looks sweaty in Gotham City. We we know we know what the tone is there. So are we getting another dark Batman? Is this a less dark Batman? Is this the journey of a Batman who is dark and becomes less dark because of Damien? Like, I don't know. And if 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 Gunn watched The Flash and said, Oh, this is the guy to direct a Batman movie. Given what the Flash is, and given what everyone's already concerned about with Gunn, it starts to make me just a little bit nervous about the type of Batman that's going to be inhabiting this universe. Yeah, and especially as we've seen the reaction to the post post credit scene uh, in the Flash has not been overall favorable. So if that was reshoots under the guidance of James Gunn, what does that mean for the Brave and the Bold? Because I would argue that this is the most humor that Muschietti has put into any movie that he's directed. And yes, he's got the horror tendency, obviously, with Mama and with It, um, and some elements of it in in uh, The Flash as well. So there will be uh, some darkness in Brave and the Bull, but how much, and will it be countered by uh, some of the sophomoric humor, for lack of a better term, that we saw there? So I, I'd be very curious to see how that's going to go down. But I do like his eye and I do like him as a director. So I'm willing to 
create the space to see if maybe he this is more his speed with less involvement from everybody changing stuff as this goes along and surviving all the turmoil with Zaslav coming on. He might bring a little more to it for sure. Um, all right, well, let's move on to our next uh, conversation here. And it's a, it's a, we're a few days late on this one, but I, I sent this one to the boys and they want to talk about it. And I think it's a great thing for us to discuss. Journalist Maureen Ryan's book, Burn It Down, has come out. I've got my copy sitting there behind the green screen. I'll be reading it this weekend. Uh, of course, it was uh, it got uh, a lot of notoriety and attention for the excerpt that was in Vanity Fair talking about Lost, Monsoon stuff going on at Lost. But um, just a few days ago, some excerpts from the book were uh, commented on and reported on by a number of sites. Um, and they talked about Lucasfilm in the book. They talk about Lucasfilm uh, and how much of a, quote, mess behind the scenes it actually was. Uh, Maureen Ryan, who is a journalist for Vanity Fair, spoke to several sources about Star Wars productions um, and uh, how their uh, approach to expanding the IP. She had pseudonyms for her sources, Emma being one of the first pseudonyms. She said that the work environment was professional, but she was brought on board to work for Derek, who was another pseudonym, who she said didn't know what he was doing, causing problems for production and generating subpar scripts. Apparently, Derek was well-connected, but not necessarily the right person uh, for the job. So also, there was talk in this excerpt from the book about the lack of diversity, that there's a bit of a pushback internally. Although the casts have been diverse, the people behind the scenes running the show have not been diverse. It's constantly going back to a white man in charge of things, even the upcoming uh, Ahsoka. And you, I know, of course, Dave Filoni created the character. People want to see this. But every time they counter... Uh, they they have an issue with the diversity. The counter is, well, this is a unique situation, but the unique situation always leads to a white guy being in charge, even if it's a person of color or multiracial person, as Rosario describes herself, as the lead uh, playing the role. Uh, she Emma also alleges her experiences with Derek uh, with white males who were brought on and had more leeway and an extreme degree of freedom to fail, whereas women and people of color were tied to a higher standard. She cites how John Favreau wrote all of the Book of Boba Fett while Rodriguez directed it. Um, and it is a general problem that she points out within the industry. Uh, and she says, no woman of color has written, co-written, or directed a live-action Star Wars feature film. Of course, that's about to change with the new Daisy Ridley film that is coming. So a lot of this, and there was talk about notes being taken from to, to ADs and to other people on set and the showrunners being leaped over, in essence, executives claiming they're the actual showrunners of shows and the idea that uh, people didn't know who to turn to for uh, uh, following the rules. I kind of like all a bunch of cousin Greg's not knowing who to listen to in this kind of situation. So um, gentlemen, what are your thoughts as you read these excerpts about Lucasfilm? Does this all fit or does this feel like a little bit of just one person's experience? I mean, they, at least in the excerpt, they, they do talk about that. The, the the author does say like, "Hey, this is this person's experience." They do it with two different people with with yeah. Emma and there there was a there was a guy as well, Christopher. Uh, yeah, Christopher. Yeah, yeah. So it's really tough to say when when you're dealing with these pseudonyms with with such a lack of specificity. It is kind of tough to be like, "Okay, what are we talking about exactly?" Like, mm. are are we are we talking about Favreau? Are we talking about uh, Tony Gilroy, are we talking about Robert Rodriguez? I mean, it's it's really tough to kind of suss it out. But I mean, when you look at some of some of the output, um, especially when you look at like you know Book of Boba Fett and and Mando season three, it's like 
not totally a shocker that there was some behind the scenes tumult that is leading to this sort of um, to, to this inconsistency. Um, and, you know, when we really went to town <laughs> on Book of Boba Fett, um, Robert Rodriguez, as the guy who directed, I don't think he directed all, but he directed most of the episodes. Yeah. It was sort of like his his ship. But at the same time, as the article correctly points out, Favreau is the credited writer on on all those episodes, with one exception with with Fav- with uh, Filoni co-writing uh, co-writing one of them. Um, so it's again, it's not a surprise, but uh, to the diversity angle, I mean, what they're pointing out is correct that uh, the the ability to fail fail up seems to be pretty prevalent with people of a certain sex and certain race. Um, And hopefully going forward, that will not be the case that more folks are going to get those opportunities. And again, Favreau is a great example. Um, He has done some incredible, he's done some incredible work in the past. He has also shit the bed (laughs) quite a few times as well. And, And you can even like point at some of his Star Wars work and say like, yep, that's, you didn't nail it this time. Um, so the idea that there is all this, all this sort of, you know, chaos behind the scenes, and they talk about how uh, budgets have not necessarily been a, something that they've worried about in the past. Like, ah, if we go over budget, we go over budget. Right. And you look at the point. belt tightening that Disney is doing now, and that's maybe not going to be the approach that they take going forward. But again, with with the lack of specificity, even though there's not a ton, there's not a, there's not a ton of output that we can point to, to be like, Oh, we're not sure who is. I mean, it's very clear. Like it's one of the, one of these few people. Um, But it's, it's really, it's just kind of tough to figure out. Okay. Specifics would be helpful. Um, But again, we're not going to get those. Yeah. Mike, I mean, when you look at something like Mandalorian, Rick Famuyiwa, Deborah Chow, Carl Weathers, Taika Waititi, uh, Robert Rodriguez, Lee Isaac Chung. Um, these are people who have color who are who, and male and female who have directed episodes of Star Wars, but not the films themselves. And Christopher uh, is the uh, one you're referring to as the second source here. Uh, Shannon uh, revealed that the relentless, relentless pursuit of big IP content like Star Wars has led to executives, quote, pushing out the writers from the decision making process. And as we're seven weeks into a writer strike, Michael, that carries weight as well overall that they're trying to essentially move out the writers and just make it showrunners executives creatives those are the people in charge is this a harbinger of what we're going to see going forward so what are your thoughts on the emma stuff and the christopher stuff that's revealed here well overall the thing i mean look i having worked at hasbro which was a giant ip company like i reading the article was like oh no i see i see exactly what's happening and i I don't i think it's mostly true Hmm. i don't think it's all intentional um, when they say that writers are being pushed out and being made less important, this is a natural, and again, it's not right. And it's, but it's hard to figure out what to do. It's a natural, like you can take any big IP company, like, and we as geeks are partially complicit in this problem. Mm, um, okay. and I'll, so I'll give you, I'll give you an example. Yeah. Um, you're a writer, you get hired to write a Marvel movie. You are super excited. Right. You are so stoked. You are going to get to put your stamp on Marvel. You're going to get to write these characters. How much control do you have over what all of the main characters in this movie get to do? Hmm. Kevin Feige's Feige's got a plan. 
Right. And we are all very excited about the plan. And there's a bunch of people at Marvel, many of whom are white men at the very top, who are figuring out how we're getting from the beginning of phase four to the Kang dynasty. And if a movie comes in here and is super, super different and tries to do different things, you know what we do as geeks? We get very upset about it. <laughs> and then we review bomb the movie. And then we talk about how it didn't meet our expectations. And so... Same thing. Look, you brought up Last Jedi before. Yeah. Whether or not we like Last Jedi or not, we all know if you've been listening to Geek Buddies, I like Last Jedi more than these two gentlemen do. I don't think it's perfect, but it's a look. Ryan Jan Johnson happens to be a white guy, but hmm. Ryan Johnson came in and said, I'm going to do a bunch of things different with Star Wars. And he did. And it was such a mess on Twitter, and the reaction was so divided yeah. that they all freaked out, brought JJ back on, and got scared to make movies for five years. So, you know, so when we when they're trying to do these things, they find the one or two people that are like, we know what we're doing. We have these executives that know the IP. There are people that work at these companies. There's guys and girls that work at Marvel that their job is to be able to whip out all these comic books and talk about the, the past 60 years of history yeah, of these characters yeah. and, the, and the continuity of what you can and can't do. So it, it happened at Hasbro as well. When, you know, when I'm the executive for Hasbro, who is in charge of Transformers or My Little Pony or whatever, and we hire the showrunners and we hire the writers, and they come in and pitch us, hey, here's what we want to do for season one of Transformers. And you're, All right, well, great. You can't do this. You can't touch this character because we're doing this with this character in preschool. You can't do this. I would like you to do this. You actually have to have this character do this, and this character has to die at some point in the season because we've got this comic book coming out that's a tie into the thing. So that's what they're talking about. So writers are becoming like less and less able to come in and just like do something amazing because most of the big brands that are making billions of dollars at the box office are tied to bigger IP. Now, every once in a while, you get something like across the Spider-Verse yeah, where you see that Lord and Miller have the free reign to do a lot of stuff with these characters that is not exactly what happens to them in the comic books and because it's not tied directly and specifically to the Marvel Universe, there's a freedom. And you look at the geek reaction to that, there is a thrill to seeing stuff that is new and different and changed. But with a, a Star Wars universe, a Marvel universe, a DC universe, a Transformers universe, all these big brands, it makes it really, really hard. And it makes it hard for writers to be able to do what they want to do with this. But is this on purpose? And I think, I know you said earlier that, it, that you don't think it's intentional, but I don't know. I don't, I don't think that there is a, I mean, look, with the, I think that writers are, the writers that are all on strike right now have a lot of reasons to be on strike and they're absolutely right. And absolutely. especially when it comes to streaming and everything else, like writers need to be paid more writers are what make this industry work as someone who writes like, yes, I don't know how you tell a story without a storyteller. Yeah. And because of the medium of film, part of that storytelling is absolutely visual. It's absolutely directors. It's absolutely that side of things. But at the end of the day, you know, yeah. A character has a want, a character has a need, a character says stuff, they express themselves, like that is all dialogue. So you need writers. I don't think that there are a bunch of executives going, I don't want these writers in the room, I'm going to do this myself. But I think that with the advent of IP becoming bigger and bigger and more important, yeah. it makes it easier for executives, particularly executives who maybe have a little bit more ego than deserved or a little bit more assholes to be like, sure. I'm going to tell you what to do. You are just the writer. Do what I say. Yeah. So I think there are 
probably people who are dismissive. I think there's people who don't handle it the right way. I think that there's people that don't respect writers properly, but I don't think that there is an intentional game plan to sort of kick writers out of the entertainment industry. Okay. Okay. I might disagree with you a little bit, but I respect your position because I, you know, less writers, we don't have to pay them means more money for everybody else. And I think that's what can motivate a lot of executives. That, that, that is true, but also executives are, as much as as much as the bottom line and not wanting to pay people is something that there are plenty of people in this industry that would love to do yeah they don't want to do the work like some, <laughs> like point. like like an executive can come in the room and say what are you talking about you're not the showrunner i'm the showrunner i'm the one that tells you what to do right. a, an executive might be happy to come in and say you can't do this you have to do this i'm the boss you have to do what i say if there's no writer in the room you know what an executive doesn't want to do yeah. Type out dialogue. <laughs> That's true. It's a very good point. Mike. Yeah. That's why they get a third assistant, I imagine. But yeah, I mean, this is this is the thing when you look at it. It's just like uh, you get it behind the scenes. This doesn't feel like it's out of the norm for any other studio. This feels like when you got the big IP, like you're saying, this is something, you know, people forget. This is something new. The advent of the IP franchise, the IP driven stuff. This is something relatively new to our world and to cinema so everyone is figuring it out still as we go along and yes there are mistakes going to be made there are issues that are going to pop up and yes some people are going to be able to do the job some people can't that's the game um but i think there are a lot of points that the these um sources make that have validity to them when you look at it overall and you hope they're addressing because we taika watiti supposedly got a movie coming he's a person of color uh we've got uh, a movie coming the daisy ridley movie coming there the director is a, a, a person a woman of color so it's like we've they're, they're they're starting to open the door to that certainly kathleen has been saying that she's the one that's been you know leading the charge to have more women and women of color in positions of power under the star wars umbrella so maybe that is changing you know um, all right, well, let's take a quick break, and then Shannon is going to regale us with some movie trailers that we're going to have fun discussing right after this. Hello, Geek Buddies fans. Before we jump into today's episode, let's give a warm thank you to our sponsor, Marquee TV. Their support is why we're able to bring this podcast to you. Marquee TV isn't just any streaming service. They're your gateway to an incredible world of arts and culture. That's right, Johnny. I've explored Marquee TV, and I've been amazed by their vast library of performances, exclusive interviews, and behind-the-scenes content. It is a treasure trove for any arts and culture lover. Right now, I'm in the middle of watching the Royal Shakespeare Company's production of The Tempest, and I've also got my eye on that Shakespeare masterclass taught by Dame Judi Dench. Yeah, Shannon, and speaking of the RSC, I watched Christopher Eccleston's performance of Macbeth last night, and I'm going to jump into Kit Harington's performance of Henry V from the Donmar Warehouse. Imagine having the world's most breathtaking ballets, dramatic theater productions, and magical operas at your fingertip. That's the experience, Mark. Key TV offers, making the arts accessible wherever you are. And we've got a special treat for our listeners. Marquee TV offers three months of access for just 99 cents. That's right. Three months for only 99 cents with the code BUDDIES, B-U-D-D-I-E-S. Simply visit Marquee.tv and use the promo code BUDDIES to dive into the world of arts like never before. Bring the arts home with Marquee TV. Get three months for just 99 cents. Visit Marquee.tv to start your journey into the world of arts now. Use code BUDDIES. Explore the extensive library of performances on Marquee TV today and keep up with the latest in art streaming by following at Marquee TV on social media. Do 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 do
There it is. All right, Shannon, we have 33 minutes left in the show. So, uh, and we still have one more topic after you. So let's go. What do we got? Let's go. Let's go with trailers, trailers, trailers. I really shouldn't, I really shouldn't hum. Uh, let's, let's all go to the movies because what we're going to talk about today is two things on Netflix and a video game. <laughs> let's all go to the sofa. Let's all go to the sofa. <laughs> so the first trailer we're going to talk about is for a Netflix animated film called Nimona. So this is based off of a graphic novel that came out in 2015, I believe, by Indy Stevenson. Um, I have never heard of this. I'm guessing Vogel has probably read this. But visually, I thought this was just incredible. Like this, this is a futuristic medieval world where you have, I believe, some sort of uh, cyborg knight who is accused of accused of a crime and gets paired up with unwillingly paired up with a a child sidekick who is also a shapeshifter. <laughs> this from 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 on paper, I would be like, I don't know what this is. Watching it uh, on uh, as a as a preview, I thought this was just so much fun. I mean, it stars the voices of Riz Ahmed and Chloe, uh, Chloe Grace Moritz. Um, apparently this was originally going to be at Fox, but then Fox bought or uh, Disney purchased Fox. And so it, it, it seems like it has been sort of a uh, windy road to get here, but it's going to be coming out on Netflix. Uh, gentlemen, I'll throw it over to you. Naturally, we'll go to Vogel first. Cause I imagine <laughs> he's got some stuff to say about this. what do you think of our first look at Namona? I mean, I think it looks great. It, yeah, the Nimona comic graphic novel is uh, is very cool. A lot big, you know, big fan. Not like uh, one of those things that is broke through and was like super, super famous and everybody knows about know about it. But the people that found Nimona really, really liked it. Um, yeah, you're right. It was supposed to be. It was in production. It was being made uh, at Blue Sky uh, over at Fox. You know, which did the Ice Age movies and the Peanuts movie. Um, but when Disney bought Fox, at first they were like, everything's going to be business as usual. And then pretty quickly they were like, except we're closing Blue Sky. <laughs> uh, so Nimona was sort of dead in the water, but a lot of the creative team, a lot of the producers attached to it really didn't want to let it go. They really thought they had something special. So, you know, found funding. One of the animation studios that had been doing service work for them actually stepped up and became investors in the movie wow. um, and said, we want to still do this we'll we'll put in on this and so eventually they got the movie made they got netflix to pick it up and distribute it and here we are uh and whether whether you're a fan of nimona and you've sort of been tracking this for the entirety of its pro uh, production process and all of the woes and you finally got to see this trailer and you know that you're going to get to see it in a few days um or like Shannon and uh, Johnny, you didn't know anything about this graphic yeah. novel. No. And I just sent you the trailer and said, oh, my God, check this out. And you go, holy shit, what is this? It definitely looks like something special. Um, you know, to Shannon's point, this is not a medieval world. It's sort of a futuristic world where they never stopped doing some of their medieval ways. Uh, so you sort of get this really cool mixture of futuristic and uh, fantastical. And it is a beautiful story. It is a story with a lot of LGBTQ themes to it, which is awesome. Um, and it just looks cool. It looks funny. And the reviews that have been coming out since it premiered at Annecy this week um, have been spectacular. 
Yeah. So not only does it look cool and the trailer is is, is uh, exciting and funny, and if you're a fan of the graphic novel, you're excited about it, but the reviews that are coming out are like, holy shit, this is a great, great movie. Yeah. Um, so once again, I've been saying this for a few weeks now, but it really does feel that this summer is maybe the summer of animation. Uh, Across the Spider-Verse, I saw it again this week. Wow. Uh, took some friends who hadn't seen it yet. We went on Wednesday night to go see it at the Grove, middle of the week, and we were in a packed theater. There was barely a seat open. Um, the Ninja Turtles trailer, as we've said, looks absolutely cool, stunning, amazing, very exciting new take on the Ninja Turtles. And now you've got Nimona on Netflix. So it just really feels like, uh, you know, as we were talking about just now with the Lucasfilm issue uh, in the book that's coming out, these companies uh, and studios that are working on these big IPs that span generations and have decades of continuity, um, some of them feel like they're sagging under their own weight a little bit. So when you have things like this come along that look so exciting, that look so different, and you're like, oh, I've never seen something like that before. It's really, really exciting. So uh, I am I am stoked and I cannot wait for June 30th. I don't think I can Johnny. add anything to that. That was a 10-minute beautiful monologue about it. So I, I don't think I can add anything other than it looks cool. I want to see it. I like the animation style. Dig the story. And like Michael pointed out, love the mixture of the old with the new in the future. That looks pretty awesome as well. And the chemistry here, voiceover-wise, between Riz and Chloe works so well. So for someone who had no idea what this is, now I'm very interested to see what this is going to be and what it's going to end up. The story is going to end up telling me. Uh, and it doesn't feel too like young so that i can i can absolutely watch it and like young jedi adventures that was a step too young for me but this this looks like it's got some more mature themes and i love the lgbtq stuff and this is the perfect time to drop it during pride month so that's it's my good thought. it's good to know that those preschool targeted shows are yeah. a little young for you because uh <laughs> I, I wouldn't have guessed that given given that the demographic for jedi adventures is three to five years old uh it, it is not surprising that that's a yeah. little bit out of your wheelhouse yeah. i did watch four of those though anyway all right <laughs> there's a kid in all of us <laughs> and nimona comes out june 30th on netflix and ah uh, you know what let's go let's go on to another platform no let's not let's stay on netflix because the trailer for they clone tyrone just oh, came out dude. this stars john boyega jamie fox and tayona paris um yeah it's basically what happens when a nefarious government organization decides to start cloning some people and those people find out uh i thought this looked uh looked super super funny this is from jewel taylor writer director jewel taylor jewel taylor wrote creed 2 um yeah i think this looks really really funny but johnny i'll throw it over to you first what did you yeah. think of our first look at they clone tyrone great title by the way look, yes 100 look y'all know i do trailer reactions and sometimes some trailers slip by me and i kick myself in the ass the next day this is one of those that slipped by me on the day of, and I did not get a chance to watch it until the next day or saw that it had come out, and, and I just was kicking myself in the ass because it is a great fucking trailer. I would have loved to have reacted it in, in real time because there's so much humor going on here. There's so much that's working on it as a political and social commentary within the dark comedy, for lack of a better term, within this, this uh, trailer that we saw. Great performances already just from the trailer. And the clips here, 
from Teona Paris and John Boyega and Jamie Foxx. And John getting had been, you know, some people had kind of been casting aspersions on John's abilities as an actor coming out of the Star Wars trilogy. It's great to see him growing and evolving as he gets older as a man and as an actor. And seeing him here leading this film looks fantastic. Uh, and the conversations, I mean, the thing about the chicken, it's in the chicken, oh my God, and it's in the products. It reminded me of Joker from the Batman. Like, it's in everything. Shit, what are you going to touch? But then the commentary about the fact that this is happening, that they would really actually try to do this, it has shades of Get Out. It has shades of the best of the black exploitation movies, and it has shades of the best of the black comedies that I grew up on in the 1970s with like uh, Sidney Poitier and Bill Cosby. I know he's persona non grata, but other people doing, other black actors and actresses doing these comedies that I used to watch in Washington, D.C. as a kid. So there's a lot here that's mixed in that excites me personally uh, to see this. So I'm looking forward to it. Jewel Taylor, damn good writer. I liked Creed too. Uh, Michael, your thoughts? It looks fucking great. It it it, <laughs> it 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 had me rolling. Like there's something really interesting about a movie that's able to take a couple different genres and slam them together and take something that is uh potentially dark and serious, but then in the way that you portray it, uh portray it in such a fun way. Like in our history, there's been lots of discussion. I mean, we talked about this when we reviewed Falcon and Winter Soldier. Like yeah. black, you know, black soldiers being experimented on, black people being yeah. used for different things. Like it's 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 a you know, there's a fear in the black community about that. Like, what is the government doing with our communities? You right. know, what are our what are ulterior motives? Yeah. So to have a movie that is shot like a 1970s black exploitation film with these over-the-top characters that are just like going for the comedy and going into this like ridiculous concept but the reason that it doesn't feel completely just out there is because you can tell that like there is a grounding in some real stuff yeah it yeah. There, there's some grounding in oh just like a lot of the black exploitation films we're talking about some real stuff yeah like we're addressing some real issues but whereas jordan peele wants to address them through a horror movie filter we are going to do it through a black exploitation filter and just go to town with a ridiculous <laughs> ridiculous over-the-top tone and vibe right. so i i uh I'm not quite sure what I'm going to get when I watch it, but I'm absolutely tuning in to watch it. Yeah. Undercover well, Brother is what we got for that time with conversations about what we were all, like how much we could get into that conversation. The fact that Black Lives Matter and all this stuff has happened since and these conversations, Obama, Trump, all of this. Now we get something much more deeper with much more layers to it. Although I do respect Undercover Brother because beneath the stupid comedy of it all, it's actually saying something. When you look at We Clone Tyrone, it's coming with good artistry from yeah. top to bottom. And I'm looking forward. And Sorry to Bother You, I think, is another kind of connective tissue to this as yeah. well. So, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And they are going to start cloning Tyrone on July 21st when we are going to be at Comic-Con. Oh, so we'll uh, we'll watch him clone Tyrone on July 23rd, 24th. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, so you guys, you know what? I'm tired of watching stuff. Uh, should we turn off the PS5? No, we're not. Because now we have the trailer for Star Wars Outlaws. Okay, so this is a new open world game in the Star Wars universe. Wow. It's not coming out for a bit. 2024 but this is the type of trailer um our friend jonathan blue sent this to us with the message just said guys <laughs> and watching this watching the, the story trailer and then watching the 10 minute 10 minutes of gameplay i wrote back oh my god it's star wars uncharted uh just looks so so cool as i've talked about before um you know my, my bot the spirit is willing the body is not when it comes to 
video games. <laughs> there were a couple of moments just in the gameplay. I'm like, oh, this looks... Oh, that looks... So who knows what's going to happen in 2024 when it comes out. But I thought the the story, the gameplay, this looks like it is going to be so much fun. But gentlemen, I'll throw it over to you. What did you think of the story trailer? And also, what did you think of the gameplay? Yeah, Mike? Uh, it, it's just, it again, with Star Wars, we... We love the mythology. We talk about it all the time on here. I am like the Mr. Mythology. I will tell you the history of this and that and the Jedi and the Sith and the High Republic to the New Republic to the First Order. Like, we talk about these things all the time. And, uh, you know, Jedi Survivor really deals with a lot of that stuff. I mean, there's shades of the High Republic in it. We are dealing with a Jedi who is on the run post-Order 66. But there is something about seeing just some smuggler living her life, <laughs> doing her shit with her weird new alien creature who is part of the gameplay, yeah. who just is like on the run and trying to make a quick buck. And it's, it is, there is a freedom to that storytelling that's not tied to all these other elements that sort of gets to exist within the bigger structure yeah. of all the stuff yeah. that we know, right. but is yeah. not specifically tied to anything that just seems so much fun. Um, and it's just a good reminder that as much as we love to look at the past in something like Star Wars, sometimes you just got to be like, okay, that's all great. Let's leave it behind. Let's do something new. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it looks fantastic. And, uh, of course, the lead is Umberly Gonzalez, who is a uh, Latina actress, a Canadian, Venezuelan Latina actress. She was in uh, Ginny and Georgia, that shows on Netflix, I think, as well. And seeing her work, and if you go to her uh, Instagram, you can see some of the behind-the-scenes videos of her doing the the stop motion and the uh, mo sorry the motion capture and the uh, the voiceover work and all of that like it's incredible how they're putting her through the ringer to create this character and have it be very similar to her body type and her moves and all of that as they transferred over to the animation side of things but the open world aspect of it all is incredible i mean it's very lived in stuff that we got for that 10 minutes and 40 seconds nicks that little thing on her shoulder it's part of the gameplay as michael said really cool how you can use that character nd5 as a droid looks pretty awesome uh you get the set i mean he says like i warned you don't talk to these empire people and seeing that little mini scene with essentially their version of sid and the empire commander there back and forth that was going on but then getting onto the ship and going through that asteroid belt and then taking off with the hyperdrive like all of it looks so awesome and her performance i thought was great as well so for me this one piques my interest a lot even seeing a random tie fighter wing just laying against the wall i thought was a cool little aspect to have to this whole thing so for me, this this worked so well. I did a, a watch or a, a yeah reaction video to the ten minutes and forty seconds of gameplay that we got, and I just was sitting there with my mouth open, seeing how incredible this felt and real it felt as I was watching it. So yeah, I'm down for this one big time. Yeah, I mean it's it's to me it's Uncharted meets Assassin's Creed. I mean it's oh. it's the open world nature of Assassin's Creed, getting to a new, getting to a new area, having the, the Chiron come up. This is where you are. You, you're on foot. You're on a speeder bike. You're you're in space. You go into hyperspace. I mean that it just looks so incredible. Uh, anytime you can throw a duster on a droid, that is a that is a <laughs> cosine right there. And so make uh, and make it work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Star Wars Outlaws again. We don't know when, but it it, it is expected in 2024. Go. All right. Well, let's take a quick break, quick break, and then we'll jump into our main topic here, talking about the Hulk rights going back to Marvel right after this. Do 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 do
Um, that's a good theme, though. That's for sure. All right, The Incredible Hulk has debuted on Disney Plus today. Um, it was originally uh, distributed by Universal on June thirteenth of two thousand eight. That's right, the same year as Iron Man. It came after. Iron Man, Iron Man's the film that started the MCU, the Incredible Hulk came right after that. And for a lot of years, it's been kind of the redheaded stepchild in the room, for lack of a better term, uh, the, 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 of, the, of the MCU. You know, people talked about it, but they recast the Hulk with uh, Mark Ruffalo and moved Edward Norton off. Would we ever see Liv Tyler again? Would we ever see anything connected to it? Again, Louis Letelier being the director. Well... Now, all these years later, 15 years later, and there have been a lot of conversations over the years how you couldn't do a standalone Hulk film because Universal owned the rights and it could never work out a deal like they did with Sony for Spider-Man. So uh, now, finally, on the day that this is dropping on Disney+, Plus, it is the rights have reverted back to Marvel Studios. And so now there's a lot of speculation about what this means going forward. And certainly, Marvel must have anticipated this happening. By bringing in Abomination Shang-Chi, then making him a big part of She-Hulk, having Ruffalo showing up in She-Hulk, seeing, uh, hearing Tim Blake Nelson is going to come back as well. Like they must have understood that this was going to happen. And now having Thunderbolt Ross, who is now Harrison Ford instead of the late great William Hurt, being a part of Thunderbolt, they must have figured out that there could be more to play with. And now maybe we're looking at World War Hulk or more of these storylines coming forward. So, gentlemen, what are your thoughts? Are you excited that this is finally happening? Or has the time passed for a standalone Hulk film with Mark Ruffalo? And possibly, are we getting Edward Norton coming back in a multiverse-type way as the Hulk uh, uh, to reprise that? Because we're getting Liv Tyler coming back as well. So, your thoughts, uh, uh, gentlemen, on this. Uh, Mike, I'll go to you first. I mean, so so it's definite, It's definite, right? Yep. The rights have definitely reverted yep. back. This is according I, I, to Variety. The rights have reverted to Marvel Studios. Is what it says right there verbatim. Okay, I, I think it's I think it's the rights to the movie. I I think I think it's still. I think they, there would have been a bigger announcement if okay. if Marvel fully got those rights yeah. back because apparently the deal with Paramount, um, or th- that Universal mirrored with Hulk was, you know, they had it for 15 years. And so now since it's been 15 years, uh, apparently the ball now is back in Marvel's court. They have the rights to do what they want with Incredible Hulk. But in terms of the character, I think Universal still does have their first right of refusal. But the fact that they are leaning more into the Hulk universe, I think that's probably a really, really good sign that this potentially could be on the horizon. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't, but I don't think it's official yet. I feel like that's what I was. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. All right, fine. So the character, the character himself, is not reverted back to Marvel fully yet, but the film is, which I think opens the door to the Absolutely. character showing up. The back. film yeah. is that, like, I think that you know, and and what the Variety article says, which I think is correct, is that even the fact that they're putting the movie up uh, onto Disney Plus, yeah. that they are sort of making this apart. Now, there's two ways to look at it. One is. As you said, they are using Abomination. Uh, yeah. We know that the leader is the villain in uh, Brave New World. Yeah. We know that Thunderbolt Ross is there. We know we're getting Liv Tyler back. So they've definitely um, made a strong stance in the Hulk. The Incredible Hulk is a part of the MCU. We're not going to try and wash right. it under the rug. Like everything that happened in that movie happened. Uh, let's just squint and pretend that that was Mark Ruffalo and not Edward Norton. But aside from that, this is legit. Uh, And they're just going to continue to do that. And they're going to use the Hulk in the way they've continued to use the Hulk, which we all feel like 
the Hulk is a main character in the Marvel yeah. Universe because yeah. he is, but he's never had his own movie. That's part of the rules. He and Namor both fall under that. You can be in a, in, in a movie as long right. as it's not your movie. So are they going to continue to do that? Maybe one of the reasons that the Hulk's son got introduced mm. in She-Hulk is their way around doing a World War Hulk movie where Mark Ruffalo is not the lead. He can be the main. He can be in it as much as he's in any other Avengers movie. But the main character will be this character that they sort of just slid in at the end of She-Hulk. Um, that being said, I think that just like with Spider-Man. There, Marvel's in a, in a in a tough spot with the Hulk in the same way that they're in a tough spot with Spider-Man. I think if the Marvel Cinematic Universe didn't exist, Universal would have thrown the rights to the Hulk away back after their second try and it didn't do great. Like, they would have been like, all right, I don't give a shit. Y'all can have this big green Thank guy you, back. Please. You can't do anything with it. <laughs> the more successful Marvel is with the Hulk the less inclined Universal will be to give it up because they want that money. So they'll be like, oh, we're happy to do the Sony thing. Yeah. You can make the movies. You clearly know what you're doing. Put him in there. Have him and Thor team up again. But we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna keep that. We're gonna distribute it. So it'll be interesting to see. I know they want him back. I mean, I, I am sure they are chomping at the bit to be able to tell some big Hulk stories. And to your original question, yeah, I don't think the time has passed. Okay. I think we all still like Mark Ruffalo a lot. I think yeah. watching that first episode of She-Hulk is proof that he he's he's got that character down. If a Hulk movie was announced tomorrow, if a trailer came out and it was all Mark Ruffalo going on some all Hulk journey, I would be super down for it. Yeah. All right. Uh, Shannon, what are your thoughts on this? Do you like that the film is now the rights have reverted back to uh, being on Disney Plus and the Marvel Studios? And do you like do you think this opens the door even more so to this happening now as an inevitability? With I mean, the Incredible Hulk movie, like, I think if, if Iron Man had not come out, I think people would maybe would have regarded the Incredible Hulk a little bit better mm -hmm. um, because yeah. Iron Man was so good and Incredible Hulk was, was pretty good. Uh, you know, people were really excited at the end when Tony Stark showed up in that bar yeah, <laughs> with, uh, with 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 uh, Thunderbolt Ross. Um, you know, looking at like some some old interviews that Norton gave and how he and Leterrier they wanted to um, take a little bit more time in the movie. And allegedly that was where they kind of did not, uh, could not come to terms with Marvel because Universal or uh, uh, Marvel wanted, we want a roller coaster ride. Mm -hmm. Like we want this from beginning to end, just bam, bam, bam. And that's why the movie just, it is like just one big chase. It You don't get that moment to kind of uh, catch your breath for a little bit. And I think, in hindsight, I think Norton and Leterrier probably were right. I mean, there was a moment in the trailer where Ty Burrell from Modern Family, who plays uh, 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 Betty Ross's uh, new boyfriend, there is a scene in the trailer where he and Bruce are talking. Yeah. And that scene doesn't show up. And it definitely had the feeling of a slower paced scene. But, you know, you look at Marvel being like, you know what? They, that first Hulk movie did not do us any favors. Right. We, you know, we just want the thrill ride. Um, going forward, you know, they've now learned how to use the Hulk in an ensemble a little bit better. Um, you know, I actually went back and started reading the uh, introduction of the Red Hulk. Uh, I've, I've been going back and reading that series and the thing about like, you know, cause you know, obviously they're not, I doubt they would do planet Hulk cause you know, you kind of covered that in Thor yeah. Ragnarok, yeah. but a world war Hulk movie, you know, as the MCU is apt to do, they adapt things for how they want them. They don't do straight up adaptations. Right, right. And world war Hulk, as Vogel said, 
doesn't have to be Bruce Banner. It could be Scar. It could be the Red Hulk. Yeah. Like there are possibilities, uh, uh, many possibilities here that they can go forward and do. But yeah, I mean, people like Mark Ruffalo. I mean, Mark Ruffalo is really, really fun in that role. And, you know, as long as he wants to keep throwing on the, the you know, the mocap pajamas, uh, I think it would be silly not not to use him. But I, I don't think the character ends with him. Like, again, you're, you have other options now. You have Jennifer Walters. You have Scar. You have a potential Red Hulk coming. So I, I, mean, I think, have, you know, you could potentially go for it. Have Amadeus, you could have Amadeus Cho coming. Yeah, sure. totally, uh, you know, totally awesome cool. Hulk. Yeah. And uh, and look, and even though he's not a Hulk per se, a uh, Hulkling is yeah. definitely in the wings, even though he's uh, part Scree, part Kroll. Part Cree, part scroll. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. I was like, that's a good 80s uh, movie you bring it up. So, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, crawl. Let's go full crawl. Um, yeah, but so, you know, like there's definitely no shortage of, uh, of, 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 of mean green possibilities yeah. um, for them. So I think, look, I think they could continue to do things the way they're doing, which is just skating by with the, oh, no, if this isn't his movie, this is this person's movie. He's just there a whole lot. Um, but if they could get it back, they would. Yeah, I think that's got to be the next step. And I think this is uh, opening the door to it more and more. And I think they're showing Universal, we can do this without you. So, like, you know, maybe you want to come on board. Let's share it. You see what we did with Sony. Let's make this happen and uh, get into a position where we can do a standalone whole thing. Because, hey. you know, listen, let's get honest. R- Ruffalo, ain't, you know, he's getting a little long in the tooth himself. It's, it's a little lot to a lot to be asking of a guy who's really an independent film actor. He's not one of these dudes like Schwarzenegger Stallone, who's like lifting weights and getting in this top peak shape all the time. Not that he isn't in great shape, just saying, I don't know his personal habits, but it doesn't look like he's in the best shape. So asking this of an older person ain't the best Whoa. situation. So yeah. Whoa. yeah. Whoa. I mean, Mark, listen, Mark walks a lot of protests. I think his endurance is there a hundred percent. I respect that a hundred percent for Mark Ruffalo, but. <laughs> The idea of being thrown around as a Hulk. I mean, I think that's a lot. If you watch those videos of what these guys go through, you know, and- Mark, a, wants yeah. his, Mark wants his Ruffalo wings. Hey. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, the, I think one of the challenges to, um, to Marvel and to yeah. one of the, one of the challenges to Marvel, which is ultimately <laughs> Disney it, with, with Disney and universal coming to a deal is uh, actually universal studios. Yes. They're right? like Sony, Sony and Marvel. It's a pretty clear cut thing. It's like, look, yeah. you, you get to make Spider-Man movies. We get the Marvel universe. Your, we want Spider-Man in the Marvel universe and your Spider-Man movies that are tied to the Marvel universe do better than your Spider-Man movies that are not. So it's a pretty clear cut. Like this is good for both of us, but with universal, it's harder to be like, let's just have this conversation. Cause you can't really get into those conversations without getting into the whole islands of adventure marvel Mm. disney like so that you know like like in california we have avengers campus at disney right we have all you have all the avengers all the marvel characters are all running around disneyland and it's great and it's good in florida the marvel characters are at islands of adventure and the only characters that are in Orlando Disney parks or the guardians of the galaxy, because they are outside of that deal. So even, even in the merchandise that they are allowed to sell in Florida versus the merchandise that they are allowed to sell here, like you go to universal studios here and you still see Marvel merchandise. It's, it's very confusing and the rules are very rough and it's a contentious fight 
constantly as Disney is like, we don't like that you have Islands of Adventure and we would like to make it go away. And Universal is like, we are not going to let it go out of our dead hands. So fuck you. So getting into the Hulk of it all, I think it's going to, it's a lot harder for them to do what they do with Sony. Yeah, that's fair. But to to the Islands of Adventure argument, yeah. uh, I think it was recently announced that they're closing the Spider-Man ride. Yeah, like, like that ride, it you know it's been open since 1999. I mean, and it is still an incredible ride, but it is closing. And so again, not knowing the finer points of the deal, it's like what is going to go in there? I mean, I, you know, allegedly Universal's uh, 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 stranglehold on the Marvel characters. Like, I, I guess it's sort of in perpetuity um, east of the Mississippi. Like they and that's why I guess Avengers Campus out here couldn't be called Marvel Land. Like it had to be called Avengers Campus. So the you know, who, who could have predicted back in the late 90s when that opened up that their biggest competitor was eventually going to buy the, the crown jewel of that park? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, look, I, I'm, I, I, I like the movie. I've always liked the movie. It isn't the greatest in the MCU, but I've always liked it. And when we did our rewatch for Stereo about a year and a half ago, uh, Lily Atlaw really enjoyed that movie. There was a lot in it. So to me, it's going to be a nice thing to have this on Disney Plus because maybe a lot of people who have been told not to watch the movie will watch the movie now that it's yeah. accessible to them. And maybe there's a reappraisal, a reappreciation of Edward Norton as Hulk, of uh, uh, Liv Tyler as Betty, of of the late great William Hurt, of Tim Roth's role in the in the, in the film itself, and also Leterrier's direction, and how there's more here than you thought maybe initially, and could enjoy it. I saw so many people, you know, finding out that they enjoyed Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantumania. So maybe the same thing will happen here that more people were told not to watch it that it was terrible. We'll give it a chance, and there'll be a nice new appreciation for it, for sure. And then eventually, the full rights will revert to Marvel Studios, and we'll get a at least one standalone movie with Mark Ruffalo before he hands it off to his kid, you know, his pesky kid. Um, yeah, Shannon, good. No, I was just to, to piggyback on your yeah. thought. I mean, I, I, the action in those movies, like Louis Leterrier is a good action director. He's a good action um, director. You might not always like his films, but right. but his sequences are typically pretty good. And that chase in Brazil yeah. at the at the beginning of the movie and the fight on the campus, yeah. those are both really, yeah. really good action sequences. Like you get it gets a little lost at the end, the the fight between Hulk and Abomination, where it becomes the two CG monsters slugging it right. out. Um, but uh, but especially you look at it's 15 years old. I mean, those those two sequences still really, really hold up. But and the ferocity of the Hulk, the power of the Hulk is there to see in the final battle, like him lifting those massive chains and concrete block. At the, you're just like, holy shit, man. So it, there's a lot of it here that that works uh, uh, than, than it, people initially thought. It's not it's not a great movie, right? But it is a good movie. Yes. I mean, it is it it is a solid movie. I, I think I remember when we all saw it, we came out. You're like, especially after Iron Man, which we were all like, ah, oh, it's so fucking great. You're like, okay, that wasn't that wasn't quite Iron Man, but it didn't. But it was. But it also wasn't Ang Lee's Hulk. Ugh. Like it felt like the Hulk. You know, it felt good. It felt good. And I think one of the sad things about it was, you know, as as Marvel was trying to do at the time, they were setting these things up you know, with the leader, yeah, with these, right. th like they, if you are a comic book nerd, you saw them trying to like set it. It kind of felt like what has happened a lot with the DC universe where yeah. you see them trying to set up a villain for a future movie or something. And then you kind of, well, I guess they abandoned that one. So it's interesting to come back 15 years later and go, or they just let that simmer for a while, but yeah. I guess we're back on track guys. I mean, so it I does. 
Go ahead. Sorry, Mike. Sorry, Mike. No, I was going to say, so it does make sense regardless of what happens with a Hulk standalone movie down the road. It makes sense given the choices, which you said at the beginning of this, yeah. given the choices they've made with Abomination, with Liv Tyler, with Thunderbolt Ross, with everything, it makes sense to put this on Disney Plus and really officially make it part of the MCU because as we get into more She-Hulk, Brave New World, yeah, yeah. anything they're going to do with his son, and like any of those threads all do go back to the Incredible Hulk and will reference it. So it's good that it's there. Yeah, 100%. 100% agreed on that. All right, well, there you go. That's our show for today. Thank you all so much for hanging out with us and enjoying our conversation. Hopefully, we appreciate it madly. Shannon, what do we have to tell them? Yeah, if you'd like to follow us on social media, on Twitter, it's at geek underscore buddies, on Instagram at the underscore geek underscore buddies. If you'd like to follow me on social media, on Twitter, it's at Shannon underscore McClung, on Instagram at Shannon the Geek Buddy. If you would like to follow Mr. Vogel, it is at MKToon. If you would like to follow Mr. Roca, it is at the Roca Says. Mikey? Um, if you like Big IP and Little McClungs, we have got everything big and small oh for God. you here at the Geek Buddies. Um, and here's what you can do to help us keep doing what we do. Uh, you can hit that like button below, subscribe to Johnny's Outlaw Nation page, leave your comments below. What trailers are you excited for? What do you think about the Incredible Hulk being on Disney Plus? What do you think the future of the Hulk is for the MCU? Let mm. us know below. If you are listening to us on a podcast, go ahead and leave us some stars and some comments. So we go up in the rankings and more people can find us and as always the best thing that you can do is retweet this video post it on your socials send it to your friends and tell them to hang out with your buddies the geek buddies all right and don't forget we've got a, a live spoiler review of the flash coming up on sunday night we will announce the time very very soon um and uh, just join us there just plan put a block out on your day in a couple of days there on sunday night and we will uh, let you know the time very very soon no all right y'all no spoilers no spoilers yet but the spoiler is you won't want to miss it because i have a feeling talking to these guys we're going to have a lot to talk about. Yeah. Well, we're going to be knocking each other into other universes for sure with some of our comments. All right. Y'all take care of yourselves. Be well. And we'll talk to you next time with a brand new episode of The Geek Buddies. <gasps> hey! Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.